Well, good morning, Kettlebrook. Uh, my name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and as Mike mentioned, uh, would appreciate your grace. Oh, we're taking an offering. Uh, we're going to take the offering now. If you are a visitor with us, just uh, fill out a Connect card and put that in there. I have been in my bed for about the last 24 hours with something that makes it so it's a little foggy here and hurts in this region here. So, um, so again, your grace would be great, and, and pray that um, in my weakness, Jesus would be magnified. We are in a series called Saturate, about halfway through as we've tried to launch this year off, casting some vision for where we really believe that God is, is calling us and leading us as a family of faith. And the series comes from a book by Jeff Vanderselt by the same name, Saturate. It's out in the lobby. We've got some copies. We should have some copies left if you didn't pick up one of those up yet would encourage you to do that. And the idea of saturate comes from a verse that, that Jeff has taken from Habakkuk, the prophet, where he talks about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You think about the idea of saturation being a, a point where you think of the waters covering the sea, as the, as the waters cover the sea, that God's glory would be known throughout the earth like that. And to make this a little bit more tangible, I brought um, a sponge and some water here, because this is really the idea of saturation, is if I put this sponge, this, this sponge was created and made to absorb liquid, and if I were to put this in, in liquid, pretty quickly it absorbs the water. Now if I squeeze it to get the air out of it, it will then become saturated with water. And it will be saturated in such a way that if it's, if it's moved, the, the, what it's filled with will come out. If you press it ever so slightly, that, that it will flow, what it's saturated with will pour out of it. And this is, to some extent, an illustration of how we were meant to be. In the beginning, we were created in God's image. The idea that we'd be saturated with the image of God in such a way that wherever we go, wherever we go and whatever we do, that we would be overflowing with God and His character and His image. Now that was impossible, it became impossible because of sin, but in Jesus Christ, it is possible once again. So that we would be saturated. And this is, this is where we're headed with this series, folks. Where we're headed, hopefully, as a, as a family, is that we would be saturated with Jesus. So that any time we are pressed, any time that we are turned, any, any, that He would come out of our pores. That Jesus Christ would be known everywhere that we go. That He would be, be seen and shown for who He is. And so this is the idea of saturation. We've, we started this series um, a couple weeks ago. Three weeks ago, we started out by talking just about that. Ryan talked about the glory of God being known from the Lord and then coming down through us into the world. And then a couple weeks ago, talked about how those who us, those of us who place our faith in Christ, we can be still used to see His glory known because we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And last week, um, Ryan kicked off uh, a trifecta, if you would, of where we're headed. Now you can show you this next slide. This next slide shows this little uh, triangle with three words that are going to be very important to us as we move forward. The idea that we would be family, servants, and missionaries. And so the way this works is that we are, first, we are family. And we are family because we are of the Father. We are, we are children of the Father. And if you were here last week, Ryan talked about this. And we are servants because we have been served by the Son. And we are missionaries because we have been sent by God's Spirit. And so where we're headed is we want to become a family of servant missionaries. And last week, again, Ryan talked about family. This week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be servants. Now, it should not surprise any of you that we, uh, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be servants. Does that surprise any of you? Hopefully that's not a huge, like, whoa, that's crazy. Okay, but what might be more of a surprise to you 
is that I would pose that there's a decent chance that very often when we believe that we're serving, that we're actually not serving. That when we say that we're serving, that we're actually, our motivations that underlie our serving are, are betraying us and that we're not actually serving. I'll give you an example. Last year, about this time, it was winter, and we, Stephanie and I, were so proud of our children. They uh, had, t- it was one of those snowy days, it was snowing out, and they, all four of them, they got their winter gear on, and they got their tiny little shovels, you know, the little tiny ones that we get from wherever, Fleet Farm. And they got, they went outside, and they shoveled our driveway and our sidewalk, kind of like, you know, you think of what the, the combines look like in Nebraska, like one, two, three, four, they had their little, they had their little system down. And, and they were going, you know, they, they did our driveway, they did our sidewalk. And when they were done with that, they went over to the neighbor's to our north and did their side, sidewalk and their driveway too. And then when they got done with that, they went to the neighbors to our south, Dan and Lisa, and did their driveway and, 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 and uh, sidewalk as well. And then went across the Lisa, across the street and did her driveway. And so we were just in this place where we're like, oh Lord, you know, there's so many times we feel like we're messing this up. But then we get this thing and it happened. We're like, maybe we got, maybe we're doing something right. Okay, and then we had some of our neighbors over a couple of days later, and we found out from them what really was happening. And that was that um, <clears throat> they told us, "Hey, do you know what? You know what the kids did?" And we're like, "Yeah, they shoveled your driveway. That's pretty cool." And like, yeah, well, they they rang the doorbell when they're done. They said, "How much would you like to pay us for for what we just did?" Okay, so they got they got like an A for assertiveness, and they got an A for entrepreneurship, and they got an F for serving because they weren't serving. They're just trying to make some money. Okay. Um, and you know what? Kids have a great way of revealing what we as adults have learned socially. socially we've conditioned ourselves to hide. So like kids will say things that, that we as adults have learned. You don't say that out loud. And you don't do those things. And so, but, but they reveal these things. And one of the things that we hide very well are the true motivations for our serving. And so this morning I want to wrestle through this with you together in a text that I think you're probably going to be familiar with the narrative, but I want to glean some things with you that I think will hopefully, again, shape us and form us as a family of faith here at Kettlebrook. So uh, what, I, what I think we're going to see is we're going to look at three different things. We're going to look at reasons that we really should serve. And then we're going to look at reasons why we shouldn't serve. And then we're going to look at, lastly, how we should serve. Okay, so those are the three things we're going through, and we're going to do that by um, looking at John chapter 13. So there are brown Bibles under your chairs. We strongly encourage you to turn to page 763, which is John 13, uh, page 763. I think that, that that's the right page. Now, the Gospel of John is an account of the life of Jesus by one of his closest disciples. And what we're about to read here, it, it comes um, just before Jesus' last week here on earth. And so I want to read this narrative through, and again, you're probably familiar with the narrative. I'm going to make some comments as we go. I'm going to read all the way through, and then we're going to break it down, come back and break it down. Before we read into John 13, I want to pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as a family this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would speak uh, to us through, the, through your word here, that you would show us some things that we've never seen before. And as we see them, that you would help us to be changed by these words and by your Son through the power of your Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John 13. John's going to give us some context as we go through this. And so he starts by giving us some kind of the when. Verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, 
And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. There's this kind of dynamic going on behind the scenes. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and He was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. This was the the lowliest, menial task that, that one could assume in this culture. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. This whole body is clean and you are clean, though Not every one of you. Again, there's some more context here in verse 11. John says, For he, Jesus, knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. This is God's word. So again, you're probably familiar with this Jesus washing his disciples' feet narrative. He doesn't seem to think twice about taking kind of the posture of a servant here and doing this really menial task of washing their feet. That's exactly what he does. And as he starts to wash the feet, he eventually gets around uh, to Simon Peter. And if you know anything about Simon Peter, you know that Simon Peter's always got a comment for everything, right? And so he starts to, to, to try to wash Peter's feet, and, and he knows he's not going to let Jesus get away with this. And so Peter's probably thinking to himself... Why do I always got to be the guy that's got to say something? Why, why, do, why do I always... What do you, why don't you... What, does, does nobody else seem to have a problem with this Jesus washing our feet thing? Why are you guys not saying anything? Fine, fine. I'll say something. And so he says, Jesus, you are not going to wash my feet. And, and, and he says, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus answers and responds to Peter kind of the same way that I respond to my kids when they ask me where babies come from. They, uh, he kind of, Jesus just says, you know what, you don't understand right now, but you'll understand someday. Okay? And Peter's kind of like, you know what, Jesus, I don't know if I really have to think that hard about what this is. I don't know if I have to wait longer to figure out what's going on. You're trying to wash my feet, and I'm not going to let you. It's just not going to happen. And Jesus says, look, if you don't let me do this, then you're not going to have any part with me. And so Peter then responds with a Peter-like response. And he says, okay, fine. If that's, if that's how we're going to roll, then I'm all in. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus has to take the pendulum that Peter has swung over here. And he's going to bring it back. He says, okay, Peter, no, you know, you're, you're fine. We just need to wash your feet. That's all. And I really appreciate Peter because Peter always states the obvious. The obvious and the elephant in the room is that Jesus shouldn't be washing their feet. And he's the only one that has the courage to say this, okay? Why does Jesus do this, though? 
Jesus does it because he's trying to show what the kingdom of God is like. Where the first is the last, the last is the first. Where God exalts humility. He's trying to show them. He's like, this is why, he's like, if you don't let me wash it, wash you in this way, you can't have any part of me because this is what the kingdom is all about. This is how we roll in the kingdom. And so family, a critical step in becoming true servants is actually allowing Jesus to serve us. A critical step in us actually being true servants is actually allowing Jesus to serve us. Some of you have really, you really have a hard time letting anyone serve you, right? Some of you really struggle to let anyone serve you. Partially that could be because of your pride. Like, I, don't, I don't need anybody's help. Partially that could maybe be because you don't want to owe anybody anything. And you're like, well, if you ser- then I feel like I'm going to have to owe you back. I don't want you to do that. Part of it might be because you've been burned in the past by someone who maybe their, wrong, their motivations were wrong and you found out about that. So, so you struggle to let others serve you. And the same is true with Jesus sometimes, isn't it? Do you really, you don't let Jesus serve you. But what's critical for us as a family in, in becoming true servants is we actually have to let Jesus serve us and realize the lengths to which God has gone to do so. And so I want you to imagine... I want you to imagine that Jesus comes in here today, okay? And he takes a bowl. And he, he says, you know what? I want you to take your shoes off and your socks off. I'm going to wash your feet. Which is really weird in our context and culture. Um, but what's universal is that feet are gross. Okay? Like feet are gross. Now, we don't live in the, in, you know, in, in, in the Middle East where we've got dusty, dry, and they're wearing sandals, and this is why they washed feet, because this is nasty. But I want you to imagine that Jesus comes in here today. And he asks you to take your shoes and your socks off. And I want you to imagine that Jesus washes your feet. Jesus. And then when he's done, he puts his clothes back on because he had taken the, 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 the wardrobe of a servant. And he asks you a question. He says, do you, do you understand what I have done for you? Would you? Would you understand what he's done? So, when we, when we think about serving, we have to first recognize the right reasons, the right motivations to serve. And there are two of them I want to I work through with you. The first reason that we should serve is because Jesus first served us. Okay? The foundational reason that we should serve is because we should serve because Jesus first served us. Okay? And motivations, as you know, I hope you understand, the motivations are really, really important. We, um, and some of you who are at the parenting thing heard me say this, but what... What we ask our children every night in our home around dinner table, it really reveals what's important to us. So I'll give you an example. If we were to have our kids around the dinner table, we ask them, hey, did you have fun at school today? What we'd be, what we'd be kind of implying subtly is that having fun is important to us. We want to make sure that they have fun. If we ask our kids, hey, what did you learn at school today? We'd be implying subtly, if not overtly, that we want them to learn at school. And they should. That's what school is somewhat about. We don't ask those questions. Those are good questions. That's fair. I think kids should have fun, and I think they should learn at school. But the questions that we ask our kids every night around the dinner table is, hey, did you have a chance to love or serve anyone today in the name of Jesus? Did you have a chance to love or serve anyone in the name of Jesus? 
Because that's what they, we want they're, they're, they're to be thinking about. And then we ask them, what, they, they tell us, and then we say, well, okay, so why do we serve? And they'll be like, because you tell us to? No, no. They don't, <clears throat> no, they don't say that. They say, I say, kids, why do we serve? And they say, because Jesus served us. That's why. And I don't care. I'm brainwashing them, folks. I'm telling you what. That's just straight up. I want them to say that every time. I'm going to say, why do we serve? We serve because Jesus served us. That's why. Because it's true. We serve because Jesus first served us. Second motivation that we can serve is because we serve because we can truly know who we are in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Jesus says, he, it says that Jesus knew the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he had been given all authority, all power, and he had been given into his hands, that Jesus had been given from the Father cosmic authority. He knew where he was, he knew where he come from, he knew where he was going back to. And he also knew at the same time who was going to betray him. Judas was going to betray him. And let me ask you, I mean, don't you think if you, knew, you had all this power and all this authority and you had all this inside information that you might use it for yourself, like you might leverage that information? Don't you think you would? I think I would. Let me tell you what happens when I have inside information. Let me tell you a story. A couple weeks back, we went down to the dental factory. We go down twice a year to get our teeth cleaned. We've got to go down to Wauwatosa through the insurance. Anyway, big dental place. We get in there. And every time we go down there, you check in. They give you these iPads to check in. Well, we went down there and Stephanie hadn't brushed her teeth yet that morning because it was hard to get out of the house with all the kids and everything. So she's in the bathroom brushing her teeth before we go see the dentist. Now, Mike, Mike tells me that Stephanie should just understand that she's going to the dentist. They're going to clean it. Anyway, um, so anyway... So they give me these iPads, and I'm checking everybody in, and they ask these series of questions. So I've got like, all these iPads, I'm checking in, I'm like, do mine quick. And then I'm like, well, Stephanie's in the bathroom, I'll just check her in quick. And so do, 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 answer the questions, blah, blah, blah. One of the questions came up, and it said, do you have a fear of dentists? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I do. I am deathly afraid of dentists. So she's in the bathroom. I'm just checking yes. I'm like, we're going to have some fun with this. Let's see how it goes, okay? So I click yes. I have a fear of dentists. So I, I feel everyone else is out, whatever. We go back. Go back to my hygienist. I'm in there. He's, he's, we're having a ride at the time. He's cleaning my teeth, blah, blah, I find out that Stephanie's actually going to have him after me. I didn't know. That was how I was going to work out. So I'm like, all right, here's the deal. You got to, you got to, this is going to be great. I'm like, I said that she's got this fear of dentists when I checked her in, okay? So what I want you to do is, can you please just play this up? Can you, like, he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, what should I say? And I'm like, well, what would you normally say? He's like, well, we've got Valium that we could offer people. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. Offer Valium. I said, but, but, but also say that you have counseling for this. Like, say that you have counselors for this. If, for, folks, if you're here and you have a fear of dentists, I'm really sorry. This, I, it's not about that. It's just that Stephanie, I know, doesn't have a fear. Anyway, so, so anyway, and, and, and so we get this all set up. And I didn't know how it played out because I wasn't there. I heard third hand later how it played out. And so she gets back there, and he is just, he is rock solid. He's just stone-faced. And he goes, ma'am, I, so I understand that you have a fear of dentists. And Stephanie's first words were, my husband put, this, put you up to this. <laughs> and, 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 and he lied. He like straight-faced, like, no, ma'am, it says right here when you checked in, you, you marked it. And she's like, uh, Troy. <laughs> and he's like, ma'am, we have Valium. He says, we also have counselors for this. And so he's like very straight-faced, and she's just laughing. And then later on, he still keeps it secret, and then later on, she's still laughing, giggling. And he's like, what's so funny? He's like, counselors? She's like, do you really have counselors for that? He's like, I'm sorry, the whole thing was made, like we lied about the whole thing. I'm sorry. Anyway, now I tell this story for a reason, um, and it was because this is what happens when you give me inside information. Okay? 
So the reason I bring that up is because here's Jesus. He's been given all authority. He's been given all power. He knows who, who's going to betray him. So don't you think that it would be like that it would make sense for Jesus to leverage this information to, to open a divine can of you know what on Judas? Huh? But he doesn't. You know what he does instead? He takes the posture, he takes the wardrobe, he takes the attitude and the task of a servant, and he washes the feet of his disciples, including the guy he knows is betraying him. Why? Because of verse 3, he knows. He knows who he is. Sometimes I think we think, well, maybe we should serve because Jesus served because he was kind of like, maybe he, did Jesus have a low self-esteem or something? Did Jesus want to be a doormat? (laughs) No. This isn't about Jesus having a low self-esteem. It's the opposite of that. It's that Jesus couldn't know more. He couldn't know better who he is in his his identity. That nothing could be taken away from him because of who he is in the Father. And we who trust in Christ, we can know the same thing. We can know our identity. We can know a security of who we are in Christ in such a way that it can never be taken away from us, in such a way that it will allow us to serve even those who are betraying us. Now, I want to take a, just a second to address something else uh, here because it's in this text and I, we don't get a chance to talk about it a lot, but um, over the years I, I hear people talk about sometimes this idea of kind of religious rites or sacramental um, cleansings or different things that, that maybe you've been brought up with that to believe like if you just have kind of a special water and you don't walk under a ladder and you say the right words, you can kind of become like the spiritual Harry Potter and be like expecto patronum, okay? And like you're in a good place with God because of the, the, the religious rites or, or the, the sacred rituals that you can go through. And, and I just need to say that this is not the case. This is not true. Religious rituals don't cleanse you. And you can tell that from a couple things in this text. First of all, Jesus washes their feet, but he says, look, you won't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will understand later. And the reason why is because it's not really about washing feet. He's talking about, let me show you something, what I'm going to do, which is far greater, which is going to be dying for you. This isn't about foot washing as much as it is pointing to his death and his resurrection. But the other thing that we need to know is that religious rituals don't cleanse you. And here's how we know. Jesus says, hey, not all of you are clean, meaning Judas. And here's the thing. If Judas is not clean after Jesus himself washes him, then there is no religious washing that will fix you. Say that again. If Judas isn't clean after Jesus Christ himself washes his feet, like there's no, there's no cleansing, ritual cleansing that's going to make you clean. Okay? We serve because Jesus served us, and we serve because we know who we are in Christ. This, by the way, folks, is, this is family. This is how we get our sponges saturated. We consider and we are reminded of who Jesus is and what He has done to saturate us with the love of Christ. Now, um, these are the two motivations, right? We serve because Jesus served us, and we serve because we know who we are in Christ. Now, let me walk through four. There's more than this, but I just want to give you four. Four false motivations to serve that I hear from people when I, hear, when I listen to people serving. And um, again, these, there's more than this, but there's just four. The first motivation I hear people give to serve that I think is a false motivation is, is they'll, say, they'll say, why do you serve? Because it's the right thing to do. People will say, well, it's the right thing to do. Now, I'm not necessarily trying to rip on this. What I'm doing is I want to show you that that's really a difficult way to start to base the, the, the reasons why we serve on. Here's why. 
how do we know what is the right thing to do? Sometimes the right thing to do may seem very different. If we walked outside the community center, there was someone outside and they were begging for money. What would you do? Would you give them money? Would you maybe not give them money but take them to lunch? Would you maybe not take them to lunch or you invite them into your home? Would you maybe not give them money because you don't want to enable them? Would you call the cops? All options. How do we know which is the right thing to do? Now, I'm not saying if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, all those questions are going to go away. We're still going to have those questions. What's going to happen, though, is that we're going to have some more freedom knowing that if we're, if we're serving because Jesus first served us, then we don't have to necessarily get it right. Like sometimes we may do the wrong things, but we're serving because Jesus served us and we don't have to get it right all the time. So this is one motivation. We try to serve because it's the right thing to do. I think that's a, that's a slippery slope to some extent. Second false motivation is acceptance. Sometimes we serve because we want to be accepted. I want you to think about gang initiation. Okay? We serve because we can be accepted. In fact, Dave Sizdek, uh, he's the red-haired young man up here. He's got a full-time job as a firefighter down in Illinois. And right now what he's going through is what's called initiation. Okay? As the young guy. He's got to pick up all the, like all the, the meal junk and everything, trash, garbage. He's got to take care of weight on him hand and foot. It's just kind of part of the deal. Now, he's doing that because it's part of their, the way that they go. But really, it's trying to, they saying this is how you're accepted. And so I think sometimes we serve so that we're accepted. So someone, we do something so someone will accept us. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ did not serve here so that he was accepted. He served because he couldn't possibly know he couldn't know better that he's already accepted by God the Father. Okay? Third false motivation I hear people give um, is because it makes them feel good. Now, this isn't usually what people say because they know when they say that out loud that sounds selfish. Okay? When, when, we, when you ask people, why do you serve? If you ask a few questions, you'll actually find, well, because it makes me feel good. Now, is it bad to feel good about serving? Well, I don't think that's bad. But let me ask you this. If you are serving someone to feel good, who are you actually serving? Yourself. So you're not actually serving someone else. You're actually using someone else to serve yourself. Not a good motivation. And a fourth false motivation that I find, and this one's even harder to uncover, it's like a, it's like a third layer down there, is that we serve so that we are recognized or reciprocated. So we serve so that, so that someone acknowledges that we've served or so that someone will serve us back. And again, this is a little bit deeper level. Okay? So if you serve someone and they didn't say thank you and that bothers you, this fourth motivation is somewhere at play. Uh, about a month ago, I took the kids down to, uh, over to Ridge Run Park because it was snowing. It was a Sunday afternoon and it was snowing pretty good and there was a lot of good new snow on the big hill over there, right? So I was like, I'm going to take these kids over there. They're going to run them. I'm just going to run them up and down that hill tire them out. And so we did that for two hours, and then I got back, got them all loaded back up in the van. I'm going to head out, and there was a, a guy in a white Cadillac who was trying to get out of the parking lot, the lower parking lot of uh, Ridge Run on, the, on, the, on the, the side towards the campus over there. And so I'm thinking, well, I should go help him. He's got rear-wheel drive. This isn't working. So I, I go up, and I start pushing on his trunk. He opens his window on it. If you know, I don't think he figured out what I was doing. I was trying to help him, so I was just pushing Trying to help. And some other guy saw me doing it, so he comes over and starts to push this guy's vehicle until he gets up over the crest of the hill. And then he, he took off again. And he didn't say anything. 
And so I was walking back to the van, and I was like, well, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, because I wanted to be recognized for that. He didn't recognize me. He had his window down. He could have just said thank you. And so you know what I did is I went into the van. The kids were like, Dad, what would you do? Well, I just served that man. That's awesome, Dad. See, I got it either way. Like I had to be, I had to be recognized. So was I serving because Jesus first served me? You tell me. You know it's not true. But you can tell. These are indicators that, that reveal what our true motivations are. So if you don't get a thank you from someone you've served and that bothers you, you've got the fourth motivation in play. If you serve others and, you, and they don't serve you back and that bothers you, you've got fourth motivation here. On a grander scale, this is the approach that we take with God very often. We serve God so He'll serve us back. So He'll acknowledge and recognize us and maybe reciprocate so He'll do good things for us because we've done good things for Him. People say, well, I'm going to be, uh, sure, I'll, I'm going to go to heaven because I've been a good person and God kind of owes me. But none of these motivations are what we're called to, folks. We're called to serve because Jesus has served us. So we looked at reasons why we should serve. Here's four reasons why we shouldn't serve. And lastly, here's how we should serve. First, family, if, if Jesus himself is willing to take on the lowliest jobs and serve in the way that he did, is there anything that we are that's, that's like below us? Is there anything that's beneath us? The answer should be absolutely not. Sometimes I hear people say, well, that's, that's not really my thing. I don't really... That's maybe someone else's thing. That's not really my thing. You know what? I'm pretty sure that Jesus is like, he could have been better leveraged preaching, raising people from the dead or something along those lines than washing feet. Like I I have a feeling he was a tad overqualified for that. And that's why Peter was freaking out. Because it's absolutely true. In processing through this text with my wife, Stephanie, she made a brilliant observation. I'm going to say it twice because I was like, dang, honey, this is really brilliant. Here's what she said. She says, It is really easy for us to serve people we love in ways we enjoy. I'm going to say it again. It's really easy for us to serve people we love in ways we enjoy. That's true, isn't it? That's convicting. So are we only, are we only loving people that's, that are easier for us to love and serving them in ways that we enjoy? I think that's something we have to wrestle through. Another thing that we can learn from this text about how we serve is, quite frankly, if you look at this text, Jesus is the only one with the towel here. But in much of what his ministry describes, he's actually serving not by himself. He serves with his disciples. And so I think one of the things we need to recognize is that there is something about us serving together as a family, as a family of servant missionaries, serving together so that people can not only see us serving as individuals, but can see us serving with this unified front to say, wow, these people don't seem like they should even be friends. Not only are they friends, they're getting along and they're loving and they seem to have this shared motivation that they are serving because Jesus first served them together. So there's something about us serving together that I think we can learn from this. Because when when this can happen, um, they can see us as family living these things out. And lastly, I think we need to serve those uh, in a way that that we don't discriminate based on who who's worthy of us serving and who's not worthy of our serving, okay? Remember that Judas had his feet washed just at the same time if you would Peter did. I think very often we can rationalize who we should serve. What we do is we say this, and I hear people say this, kind of like this idea that, well, we'll serve these people because God serves those who help themselves. Like God helps those who help themselves. You've heard that, right? Like God helps those that help themselves. I I need to be really clear about this, folks. That is not the gospel. 
That phrase, God helps those that help themselves, is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is this. God helps those who have acknowledged that there's no possible way they could help themselves. God helps those who understand that they are in desperate need of Him. They could not serve themselves. They need to be served by Him and Him alone. And so what we need to do is we have to remember that when we're thinking about who we're going to serve, that we thankfully, we we have to think, okay, are these people worthy of our serving? Thankfully, Jesus didn't ask that question. Because if He did, none of us would have been served by Him because not one of us is worthy of what He did in serving us. Not one of us. So what He did was He took on flesh. God incarnate took on flesh and saturated it perfectly. And then not only was He saturated in the flesh, God incarnate, but then He, he poured it out every last drop so that we might be filled with that which He has poured out. How are we doing, family? How are we doing at serving? What are the motivations that we have for serving? Because it's our desire. It's our vision that we want to be a family of servant missionaries. Family because we are loved by the Father. Servants because we have been served by the Son. And missionaries because we've been sent by the Spirit. I want to close with a, with a poem or a hymn by Brian Wren that goes like this. Great God in Christ you call our name. And then receive us as your own, not through some merit, right, or claim, but by your gracious love alone. We strain to glimpse your mercy seat and find you kneeling at our feet. Then take the towel and break the bread and humble us and call us friends. Suffer and serve till all are fed and show how grandly love intends to work till all creation sings, to fill all worlds, to crown all things. Saturate. To be saturated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can know what it looks like to be saturated with your love because you sent your Son in the flesh to demonstrate it. And then he was poured out and emptied out. Not because we're worthy to be served in that way, but because by his grace he chose to give us that which we do not deserve. Father, I ask that you would help us to be the family that we are meant and intended to be as a, as a family here of faith at Kettlebrook. You'd help us to be servants because we've been served by your Son. And we ask that you would do this in and through us, Lord, by your Spirit, because we can't do this. It's not natural. The motivations that we have, Lord, are they're the natural ones, the four false ones and the other ones. We need to have pure motivations. We need your Spirit to to imbue in us those things. Help us to serve because we've been served first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.